Namaste and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast where we are exploring the mystical in the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic, and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kilkenny, the host of the Modern Mystic Podcast. And today I'm really overjoyed to welcome Michael Sapiro. Dr. Sapiro is a clinical psychologist, psychedelic assisted therapist, transformational coach, writer, meditation teacher, and researcher, and former Buddhist monk. He is on faculty at Esalen Institute, is a fellow at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and is core faculty in the Psychedelics Today Vital Psychedelic Certification Program. Dr. Sapiro teaches nationally on the art and science of transformation, expanded human capabilities, and future making. Love that. He is the integrative psychologist at Boise Ketamine Clinic, where he offers ketamine-assisted psychotherapy to individuals and groups. He serves first responders, former Navy SEALs, and other special operations team members recovering from trauma exposure. His work is dedicated to personal awakening for the sake of collective and planetary transformation. Michael, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being on. Well, I'm really so happy for our listeners because there are, there are some different topics that I've been wanting to birth and midwife on this podcast and have been waiting for the guests to arrive mm-hmm. for such topics. When I read your bio and heard about you and saw some of your work, I was like, okay, this is this is the being to download the Dharma wisdom for us. So I always ask my guests one question that's a commonality, which is what does it mean to be a modern mystic? So what does that mean for you and in your world? It means I take time to be with the ordinary expression of the great mystery of life. So that might be on a walk. I just see a butterfly or a spider web or something, or I just slow down enough to hear a trickle of water in a little stream I'm going by. And I just kind of revel in the simplicity of it. But beneath this simple texture is really the grandeur of life. And so for me, being a modern mystic is really slowing down to the pace of nature to hear the wisdom of nature and to feel God's presence in everything around me. Mm, mm, really, really profound. I think that sometimes, especially with the podcasting art form and the intellectualism that can come on it, we can get sometimes as mystics so out there in the mm. way of our exploration and expansion. And it's so beautiful and truly deep to recapitulate that importance of becoming in sync with nature and really the simple rhythms of nature, which I totally concur are often the most profound. Mm -hmm. Love that. I wanted to talk about the idea of 
when we are on our spiritual path or whatever you want to call it in the way of semantics, but on the path of evolution mm-hmm. and at the path of being fiercely committed to awakening, how that can really be something that can be viewed sometimes as being selfish or needing to pull away from. And I know there's some different traditions and and philosophical viewpoints that I think we share, but I wanted to start the foray of our conversation with that idea of how, in your experience, seeking one spiritual path and awakening can really actually contribute to the awakening of collective consciousness, the universal, really evolution of the planet, as you said in your bio even. I'd like to start with really helping listeners understand the difference between selfishness and self-focus, because those get often confused and people end up throwing away really important self-love, self-care practices, because we think we should martyr ourselves or give ourselves to others. And we end up depleting ourselves, burning out, feeling stressed, taking resources that our body, brain, mind, spirit needs, and giving it to others. And I've, I've spoken on this on other podcasts too. So selfishness to me is when we're choosing actions or behaviors that hurt other people, you know, on purpose. Like, I'm going to choose this for me knowing this is not good for you. That's when we might call something selfish. So someone who leaves their spouse with all the kids and all the things they got to do just to go drinking with some buddies and the spouse is left like, hey, I need help. And and that other person's like, yeah, I got to do this thing for myself instead of really being thoughtful of how to manage maybe that. That, that might be seen as more selfish than the person who's like, what can I do for my household, for my family, and then also make sure I'm getting time in for myself because I need social time or I, I do need to go out with my buddies, but can I do it in a way that is the best for my whole family or for us? So like, it's important to understand taking time for ourselves and building a practice is not selfish unless we're doing it in disregarding of other human beings or our animals or our, or our planet's well-being. So it is important that we spend time self-focusing. Once we have that down, once we understand, actually my well-being, my health is of vital importance to not only my life, but my family and my community, then we, we see it's a responsibility to spend time on ourselves then. Mm. I love that. And I think that's really, really a helpful way to articulate it. What you said, responsibility, like what is our ability to respond? Mm -hmm. Not only in others, like I always hear that in relationship to others, but I love what you're saying because it's really in relationship to oneself. Yes. And it really is so gorgeous and potent. Something I always like to say when I'm teaching, which I try to live and it's teaching from my experience, which is like how you do what you do matters. You know, how can I do no harm to others or as little harm as possible? As many different, really, it's a perennial philosophy in so mm-hmm. many traditions. And that includes myself and yeah. that includes filling up my own tank and well and all the things that then can really be ebullient and offer out to others. It's not just we need to love ourselves because it's so important to love ourselves. And that means our bodies, our body's health, our our mind's well-being, our spiritual life. 
It's very difficult to keep giving to others and give to our community when we're burning out or we're stressed or we're getting sick. Then we resent our bodies for getting sick. But it's like, how how much time are you putting into your body? How much time are you putting into your spiritual, psychological life? Of course, we're breaking down. You're running your vehicle without stopping it. And you're not even considering the fuel you're putting in the vehicle. Like this is so many folks out listening. I want to encourage us to realize our bodies and our brains and our minds and our hearts need our attending. And that is not a selfish orientation. That's actually a sacred orientation because after all, like we're a manifestation of what is most sacred. Yeah. And and that's so important. And I think such a pivotal point, the viewpoint that the body is sacred Mm -hmm. The mind is sacred, our, our mm-hmm. psychology, our, you mm-hmm. know, the psychology, yeah. the emotions, all the layers of self. I know you have a yoga orientation and I've, I've mm-hmm. referenced it on this podcast other times and I have an episode on it about the kosha. So people mm-hmm. listening, the listeners can go back and find the episode on the layers of self, the koshas, but we have all these layers of self, like an onion and all of them are sacred. Mm-hmm. And I know from an old bio I read of yours. I don't know how you feel in this moment, but I read the term cashmere shavism mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that being part of your background. And that is a philosophy that I was steeped in a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it was so I feel like empowering as a child mm-hmm. through that lineage to be taught that all parts of myself were sacred. That's amazing. You had access to that. So, so young really such a such an incredible blessing for sure Mm -hmm. and I feel like you know just helping and supporting people to understand that what are some ways that you do that or practices or hacks or anything because I think that's a really deep malady of our society that a lot of people once they get on a spiritual path of awakening they start to not think that, you know, they start to get mm-hmm. into like their spiritual practices and, and things that take them out of themselves. Mm-hmm. And these experiences are less than. So yeah. How do you teach that and support people with that understanding in an embodied experiential way? Yeah. So embodiment is one of the core components of the work I do, whether it's teaching Dharma or in the psychedelic therapy I do, or especially, you know, in the yoga world, of course, we're going for embodiment. But more importantly, my psychology practice is all about embodiment. Because what I'm hoping for are people find their most deepest values, the heart's values, and then they, it's not philosophical or intellectual, their heart's values are then lived in the body and felt. So what does joy feel like? What does peace feel like? But so many people are disconnected from the body. So a lot of my work is actually in giving them the experiences of the koshas without necessarily calling them that anymore, since I'm not really teaching yoga anymore, but still using that framework to help people get a sense of their breath, the physical body, which is sensations, emotions, and emotions, the language of emotion is sensation. If I say what is sadness... Sadness is a bundle of feelings. Feelings are sensations. You could feel it in the gut. If I say what's anger, it's a tightness in the chest. There's a feeling of heat. There's a clenching. So in order to help people understand their emotions and then how the mind, which are thoughts and images 
and narratives and beliefs, how that creates and it reinforces emotions and that all is felt in the body. So I, my job is to actually teach people about their bodies and the language of the body's sensation. And then going, moving from there, they start understanding, oh, my emotion has a, a somatic component. So now I can start understanding when I'm feeling something, I can name it because I'm feeling it. This is all about self-awareness. All my work is about self-awareness, learning these different layers of our experience, which are the breath, the, the sensations of the body, emotions, thoughts, wisdom, intuition, and then awareness itself, love, joy. These are actually layers of our experience that everyone can access. So my job is to teach people how to be self-aware of every one of those layers of ourself and then live in awareness of those things while they're breathing, eating, cooking, whatever. Right. Such a great extrapolation. And, and that's it. Like some people, like I work doing coaching, intuitive coaching work, I call it. And I think that, you know, these layers of self, you and I are both referring to as a general kind of architecture in our mind. There's some people you find who might really be in their bodies, embodied and like really physical. Yet a lot of people are in their mental body, which is another part of their body. So these are the koshas, the physical, it's called the anamaya kosha. And then the pranamaya kosha is that second layer, which is your breath body. You refer to that. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people have a deprivation of that. Do you Mm -hmm. find that in your work? Like that connection to like that deep, full presence of breath? Yeah, of course. I mean, because most of us have some kind of experience that might be considered traumatic. And I know I don't want to over-traumatize like over, you know, there's a culture of everyone's traumatized. And actually, in some cases, a lot of people are, you know, living with trauma and the trauma is actually physiological as well as spiritual and psychological. And for those of us living with trauma, our body's responding by shortening the breath, by getting tight by becoming balled up and protective, walled up and protective. I said bald and walled up. And so then the breath becomes short. We breathe into the upper lobes, upper lungs. We're not getting into the deep part, the deeper bottom of our lungs. And uh, we're not getting the nutrients we're needing from the deep breath. Our physiology is, is hyper aroused. So breathing, see, I work with you know, PTSD is a specialty of mine. I work with first responders and vets, but really anyone who's scared and has fear, we have to work with the breath. We have to get it down deep into their belly. And you have to feel safety to say that too. And a deep breath triggers a response in your body that it is safe. So we're doing a lot with the breath because you have to have an embodied sense of safety for the body then to go, okay, I I can breathe deeply. So that kosha is extraordinarily important for us to feel safe and also to regulate. Yeah, amazing detail. I mean, as you're speaking, I was thinking of different examples of trauma that I know my clients, myself, people have been through. And one thread that I could instantly connect is that people go through trauma, they hold a breath. I mean, they yes. have, sometimes they have to, right, mm-hmm. to not make a sound or, you know, whatever. But it's so, so profound. I'm a college professor. And part of what I share is pranayama, which is breath work Mm -hmm. every week. And I try to give my students different techniques for them to try Mm -hmm. on. And I feel like it's similar to mindfulness and meditation as well, that Mm -hmm. I'll get people and students who come and they say, oh, well, that didn't work for me. I, I didn't like that. And then when given the opportunity to learn 
a myriad of different techniques because of their personality, because of perhaps even the quality of trauma, because of whatever genetics, there could be many, many factors. But there's actually like a, I don't know, like a harmony dating situation that one can get into with meditation and breath work, and you have to find a match. What is your experience with that, with your work? Find the same thing? Yeah, so always, you know, we want to find what's best for their physiology and for their minds. And there's also like try it for a while. See, people don't like what they're not used to. So it's not a matter of just right away. Hey, that didn't work. I work with a SWAT guy and he really didn't like guided meditations for a long time. I just want them to shut up and I just want space. I'm like, well, what are you doing in that space? Well, my mind goes everywhere. I'm not here. I'm like, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you, and I talk straight with these guys, these dudes. I'm like, I want you to stop complaining about not liking this for a second and just do it like you're training in, with your weapons. You don't always like what you're doing, but just do this guided one because what this guided meditation is doing is training your mind what to do for when you get to the quiet spaces. And he fought it and then he started doing because he heard the wisdom. I was being direct and strict with him almost tongue in cheek, but he did start practicing it. And after a while he goes, wow, my, my mind was never in my control. And now with this training that the guy, I sent him Tara Brock. I didn't even send him my own. I'm like, look, here's someone I love listening to try hers and just do what she's asking you to do. Even if you want her to be quiet and you hear your mind go, just shut up, just do what she's asking. And after months, he's like, my mind is now more under my control than it was before. And when I get quiet, now it's a deeper quiet. So I don't let people just get out of it right away if they're like, oh, I don't like it. Because I'm like, you know, there's kids in us that just fight things. I don't want to try broccoli because it's ugly and green. And you're like, after a while, you get a little ranch on it. You're like, oh, I can do it now, you know. So we're all big kids. And so, but yes, on the other hand, there are some practices that do like it scares us. I do a, a breath retention practice for some people and it can really scare them. So I, we don't do those practices because the breath retention puts them into a state of panic. And so we're like, okay, that is not good for your nervous system. We're not going to use that particular breath that we're going to do a deeper, slower one. Breath of fire might be too much for some people who really need a lot less stimulation. So there is also that we do want to be sensitive to people's needs and the way uh, the breath can either increase their anxiety or decrease it. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about the techniques and practices. And like you're saying, how sometimes what feels like toxic or poison can be the cure. And sometimes it's toxic for us, right? And so that's part of that, like dialing into, first of all, having a wise guide to support Mm -hmm. you with, and then also really doing that deep listening and understanding that it's a relationship, not only with yourself, but your practices. And That's so, right. you know, when you meet someone, you can be totally turned off by them. And then some people marry that person, you know, you just don't know, you have to like, like you say, be mindful, go slowly, pay attention. Yeah, pay attention and give it a little time. It might freak you out first. And I don't want to put people into a state of panic. But I'm also going to teach them how to deal with their panic. And if a breathing practice does put them into panic, we can slow down or stop or change. But also you can learn how to deal with yourself in a new way. Because a lot of us kind of run away from things we don't like, which sometimes that is important and we have to do that. But a lot of times we're just avoiding the difficulty of a, of a practice and practices are difficult. Totally. And, and the other one I hear a lot, do you hear this as well, is how bored people are. 
And, <laughs> and when I used to teach public meditation classes, I remember just one day being like, you know, boredom is not going to kill us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think particularly as like Westerners, it's like, God forbid we were bored for a few whole minutes, you know, yeah. that in that practice, which I'm sure you do too, right? Of getting curious about that boredom mm-hmm. and then being able to even tolerate the muscle of boredom can help people later, you know, not scroll so much or not fill the blank, do these things that dysregulate our nervous systems even more. So those, like you're talking about intolerable, seemingly experiences can really translate positively in the way of fruit in other, in other areas. Right. Absolutely. And what I found for myself and other people is when we're facing boredom, what I think actually happens is we start becoming more intimate with things that are hidden and subtle mm. and also repressed. And so when we're saying I'm bored, what actually might be coming up is grief. I mean, what does boredom actually mean? I'm not enjoying this moment because it's not enticing or satisfying. I think underneath that, what definitely comes up for a lot of people are things they don't want to see or feel. Really interesting. Yeah, that's brilliant. It makes so much sense because of course, a lot of our lives are running around and away from things numbing because that's what our culture teaches us. Like, oh, something happens that feels hard, numb, you know? And so we equate that, like you're saying, as boredom, but really there could be a lot there. I totally concur with that. And yeah, yeah, that's why even like the practices of meditation, in my experience, they're not always positive at all. They can be really hard. And I'll say to people like, no, it's not all like bliss, love, whatever. It actually is creative Petri dish where all sorts of things can happen. But I always say like, but notice how you feel later. That Mm -hmm. to me is always the litmus test. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's going to feel good in the end, generally speaking. Right. I've had no one say to me, I hate it and wish I didn't meditate ever, never in all these years. (laughs) Later, later, maybe during a lot. but Yeah, during for sure, because it's so uncomfortable in the beginning. And that can be years of having to face yourself. All we're doing is facing ourselves. And most of us are trying to avoid facing ourselves. So good. So good. But in facing ourselves, The profundity is that then we, at some point, really come to know ourselves yes. with capital S, right? That, that yes, the deep self. And also we get to know the parts of ourselves that we've punished or pushed away or we're ashamed about, embarrassed about. We also get to know the parts that are wounded and are hiding or don't feel comfortable being seen because we don't know how to greet them with care and love. That's what's often coming up in meditation from a lot of people and And I don't believe there's any growth without looking at ourselves. I don't think there's any growth without facing ourselves. That's not quite true. I mean, you can have incredible experiences that are spontaneous, or you can have terrible car accidents, and you get to know yourself very closely in those moments too. But I'm saying conscious growth, the growth that we're all looking for, becoming wiser, more peaceful, more compassionate, more confident, we have to look at ourselves closely and that's why I think meditation is actually one of the more powerful me- methods for that because you can't escape when you're bored and when you're uncomfortable. It's like all right there for you. All right there. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. What are some other practices 
that you like to recommend in addition to meditation, particularly because you've worked so much and you work so skillfully with trauma, with PTSD? I know you mentioned nature in your answer, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's one of them. But but yeah, could you share other things sure. in addition to the meditation, in addition to the breath work? Because you are you are such a, a master with this arena. I want everyone to know that their whole library full, and I don't just mean books, but like inner library full of wisdom that you have. And you're all, I'm, I'm really speaking to everyone here. Each one of you has an innate abilities and your own genius that wants to come out and, and express itself. And that can be through dancing, through arts, through drumming, through being creative with music. So I'm not just, this is beyond just healing trauma. You know, this is actually like, how do we thrive? Even though we might have trauma, I'd rather answer like, I want you all to be dancing and drawing and drumming and trying burlesque shows, trying something you've never done before and finding confidence in new ways, going into nature and taking some days by yourself or even three hours or even an hour next to some trees or by a river and then letting what's innate in you come out. So instead of just like answering in terms of here's all the things you can do for our trauma, which all not a lot of us have it, I'd rather talk about what are some ways you can express your inner, innate genius. Try new things. All right. of us should be trying new things all the time. Totally. I like to talk a lot about passion. Like, you know, if people say passion, it almost sounds trite, just like, you know, shadow work, blah, 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 blah. One of my favorite quotes that I try to live by is that Rumi quote, run towards every call that excites your spirit. Mm-hmm. I love that. So that when you said that, it's like, yeah, that's so good. I've never, I've never heard anyone talk about trauma. And then that, you know, and connect those two, but it makes so much sense because totally. The things that light our souls up are the things that are going to heal our souls. So it's a yes, really right. revelatory, revelatory thing to say. Yeah, I can totally talk about all the techniques that can help us. And you can all look that up. But inside of you is the universe. Is, it's a library of the universe. And each one of us needs to start reading what's inside of ourselves and living toward that. Then you're going to learn through those things, how to work with the wounded parts of us that are do emerge and, and come out. I'd rather talk about that. And I think that that's a healthier way of being. Yeah, I love that. Follow mm-hmm. those sparks that will illuminate mm-hmm. everything. So, yeah. good. so good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. That was spontaneous. I Because I, I was I was, I was going to be like, yeah, I could talk about breath work and grounding what I, you know, and psychedelic medicine, which is all amazing stuff and do all of that too. But why not just go toward our potential? Because we're, we're, we're going to live with what we have. And, and that stuff reduces when we're starting to live with our potential. Yeah. 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 Oh, so true. And, I, and your first answer. I mean, to me, it's just the older I get in years, it's just more and more is the answer in that going out in nature, mm-hmm. you know, because the frequency of nature just tunes us to ourselves. I feel like it's a tuning fork. And mm-hmm. The, just the more I live, the more I'm just so, I'm like a nature zealot about that. Even people who yeah. think they don't like nature, like I'm like right now I'm recording in the middle of a huge city, but like I just go out on my days where I'm working like 12 hour days and I'll go to the trees and I'll hang out with the urban trees. And it's just incredible that little time, little park, how it just totally tunes me with myself. So 
Yeah, I want everyone listening to know that nature has the power to heal us, truly. Not from every disease we have and not from all our maladies and our wounds. I, I, I don't believe that. I think there's a lot of good interventions for everything we're experiencing, much, much of what we're experiencing. But when I started going into nature for medicine, feeling the vibe of nature and the, the wisdom of trees, and also I spend so much time with my dog, and I don't just mean like, not just on hikes, not just petting him, but I study him. I'm feeling him out. I'm watching how he interacts and I'm watching how chill he gets. And I'm like, wow, I, I want to be that kind of chill. And then he plays without, he just plays like a child, like a puppy. And I, I'm sometimes so fucking serious. And I'm like, I want to be more like my dog. So I like study nature because it's showing me a way of being that I was, was innocent and was taken from me. And I'm returning to it by being around things that are innocent, pure, like, like rivers and trees and animals and insects, lots of healing potential in nature. Yeah. I love that so much. Mm. Those things that are outside our overculture like you're saying like talk to me about like just with, with me and my I have a dog and a cat that I'm probably codependent with I love <laughs> and but the regulation like of just and I and I did this since I was a child of just putting my head against their head and breathing with them I feel like that is so powerful to breathe with meaning sinking my breath up with my pet's breath because yes. they are so right. pure totally Right? It's, it's amazing. And there, there's tons of science and data on co-regulation of breath with other people. And there's a lot of science people can learn about earthing and grounding and spending time in nature. Our telomeres, our cells respond, the mitochondria in our cells respond to being with nature and with animals. So, I mean, this isn't just hippie talk. There's really good science beyond science. When I'm with my dog regulating myself with him, my head on his head, or I mean, I actually calm down to the pace of like the earth to, and it is incredible how good I feel when maybe my mood was not so good beforehand. So I do want people to, who are listening to realize like, first of all, get a pet if you don't have one and train them really, you know, attune with them. We're not, I'm not dominant over him. We are actually attuned together. That's a part of what I'm talking about with nature. It's not me being dominant in nature and taking from. It's a symbiotic relationship, give and take equally. And so when I'm with my dog, it's actually him and I giving and taking. I'm listening to him as much as I'm asking him to listen to me. And that's where I actually grow. I didn't know I'd be talking about this today, but here we are. That is so poignant and I really like honor that and it's been such an interesting exclamation for me because I have an older father who lives with me and I got a wild young dog and for a long time I was felt pulled within myself of this dichotomy of like training and then having her behave because I wanted safety you know and do no harm you know for for mm -hmm. people around Absolutely. me and she is just this like crazy, feisty, wild spirit. And one day I looked at her and I was just like thinking of myself. And I was like, the things that were pissing me off about her and other people were actually things that 
and, and qualities that I possess. Yes. And I just had this moment where I was just like, screw all of this. <laughs> you know, I mean, she wasn't biting people. I'm mm-hmm. not talking, you know, at this point, like she, she's not going to win a prize. She's not everyone's favorite dog, but her wildness and her yeah. feistiness. And I was like, I will not trade this out of her. I do not care mm-hmm. anymore, you know? And in that moment, you just articulated it so beautifully was the moment like our relationship changed yeah. into more of a symbiotic. Yeah. It's so eloquently. So, so beautiful. And just that give and take relationship, which of course is a whole nother podcast episode, even yeah. how we are with earth, how we are with our body, you know, other people. And that's really correct. Back, back to your first brilliant answer, how we are with ourselves. Yes, that's right. So I want us to be clear that is exactly what I'm talking about. We dominate ourselves. We make ourselves do things. I'm going to cry because it sucks what I do to myself sometimes. I force myself to, I'm, I'm self-employed and I might be one of the worst bosses I've ever worked for. I like, my schedule is stupid sometimes. And, and I had to do a lot of deep work about why am I doing this to myself? Why do I make myself work this way? Why am I dominating myself? My poor little innocent, playful soul is like, uh, please stop making me work like this. And I'm like, no, here's why you have to do it. Dad will never love you unless you do it these way. He's not even in the picture and I'm still doing things for him that are not even healthy for me. So what I'm talking about is we learn to be symbiotic with our souls, ourself, that young part of us that was not allowed to express itself or, or it's dominated by others. And I'm learning how to do that with my dog and with other people. So now I'm starting to do that with myself. I don't want to hurt myself anymore. I want to support and encourage myself and give myself space to play. And, and so that this is what I'm really talking about, respecting ourselves deeply. Yeah, so good. And it just excites my spirit so much talking about it. And I just want to honor how, for people listening, how hard it is. Because we live in the society that teaches us the opposite. You know, I was contemplating recently, like, the thought of, like, who who would I be? You know, what choices would I make and have made if I were pushed out into this world and then fast forward to me as an adult now? Meaning, you know, that child, basically, and, and didn't have those indoctrinated mm. aspects of self as you alluded to, like with a parent, how many of my life choices, right, are from this unconscious place? And it's, it's such a rabbit hole, but so important to think about. Most of our behaviors are coming from unconscious programming. My job with all my patients is helping them and myself is helping us uncover. That's why I go to therapy. I'm like, why am I working myself this hard? And then I look at the programming, how I grew up and the messages I received from our culture, Judeo-Christian or, you know, kind of Puritan and Protestant work ethic, just embedded in the culture, the capitalistic kind of underpinnings of you are what you own and, and your value is how much you, you, you produce and how much you can buy. You know, this, these are ingrained deep in, deep in us. And then we're overworking and we're not taking breaks. We hardly give ourselves time off. And we're like, yeah, I only take two weeks off of, a year. I'm like, what? You know, that's awful for our spirit. But this is all programming. All our decisions are coming from there until we start waking up and going, why am I not living in alignment? I'm, I'm out of alignment of my own heart values. 
And so my job is to help people recognize their heart values and then start living those heart values in real time. And that is surprisingly difficult because we feel guilty or we say we're selfish or we're like going to, you know, disappoint other people when we're like, I don't want to do that anymore. But totally, totally. And, yeah. and, what it, and what it like, I know it's like so huge and there's like years of time and contemplation and copious amounts of potential psychotherapy in addition to retreats and workshops to even get to a place of beginning to do this uncloaking and uncovering and discovering. However, for those listeners who are like, where would I even begin, right? Mm -hmm. What would be in your mind a few wise questions to embark on this particular journey? Because a lot of people, it's like, I don't even know, like, I think, you know, they, they might feel the the truth and I'm sure a lot of people are listening to you right now and like jumping out of their skin because the soul hears that truth yeah. and it's like, right? Mm -hmm. And there's such resonance. But like, what are a few questions that sure. people could embark on to begin that journey of-, of Okay. First one, whose life are you living right now? Just think about that. Don't, don't just go, that's a you know, stupid question. I'm living my life. No. The work you're doing, the way you interact with people, and I'm not, not all of us are misaligned. I understand that. Whose life are you living? Whose values are you living? Who are you pleasing? Like in the choices you're making in your life, who are you pleasing? Yeah. So why, why are you doing the work you're doing? And I guarantee you, a lot of you listening are going, oh, shit, I don't want to answer that because I hate my job or I don't want to do this work, but it pays the bills or I just fell into it. And a lot of us do need to just work to work for money's sake. But I think when we start looking at this, we can choose. It's hard. It's hard. It's really hard to talk this direct because there's so many circumstances that make living our authentic lives difficult. I just want to acknowledge that there's a lot of circumstances like oppression. There's so much oppression of women, of people of color, of gay folk, trans folk, of immigrants that do make it difficult to live kind of the way our hearts want us to. So sometimes it's not as easy as just waking up and going, F the system. Well, the system can be extraordinarily difficult and to navigate and actually oppress people on purpose. And so it's not as easy as just waking up to your heart's values. But what I'm talking about inside for you listening is, is your heart actually aligned? Are your heart, deepest heart's values aligned with what, what you're doing in your life? These are questions I'd ask. Who are you pleasing and whose life are you living? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, really like mic drop, right? If you really give yourself that space and time, it can be too. Perhaps, tell me, I'd love to hear your process with this, but perhaps it can be like a Dharna too. Because sometimes it's like the brain, at least for me, maybe it's just my brain, nobody else's brain, but, you know, starts thinking and then the thoughts, you know, there's this courtroom back and forth and cross examination and, and, and you know, it becomes so mental. And yeah. so then perhaps almost like in yoga, they call it the Dharna their ways to like throw it out and then kind of like a stone, I think of it like throwing a stone in the, in the river 
Mm. And then letting the ripples expand outward back to you than the answers. Mm. Do you work in that way at all too? Give me an example of how you might use that to answer a riddle. Maybe asking the question, you know, like, whose life am I living? Or who am I doing? Like, who am I trying to please? Something like that. Mm -hmm. And then going to nature and not trying to figure out. Oh, got you. Absolutely. Take mm -hmm. Sure. Yes. So all of, yes, right. Take those questions, just plant them, put it, put it in, but you do want to nurture these kinds of things, but you don't have to do it directly. Like you're saying, Yes, you can journal about other things. You can draw. You can take time away from that question. But your soul is going to work on it now. You can't unhear what I asked you. Yes. That's what you're really saying. That is so good. You can't unhear the question, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I try, like, you know, in this podcast, my listeners know, like, I, I like to, you know, I, I, can, I can seem very flowy, but like, to really go deep and ask these harder questions and it's part of the impetus for this podcast. And that's so good. I love what you said about, yeah, drawing it. Like mm -hmm. just back to your brilliant answer about being creative, you know, yeah. you can creative it, you could dance it, right? You yeah. Can you absolutely, you can express it in so many ways. Listen, our intellect is one small piece of the puzzle of who we are. We over rely on our cognitive sense of self and our intellect. It's like um, ping pong. There's going to be, and you might have four players at the ping pong table. So I listen to my body, ask the body's question. Listen, if all you listening take to heart my question, whose life are you living or who are you trying to please? Your, your body's going to say all kinds. You're, you're going to have a lot of feelings in there. If you really sit with that question, you're going to picture your mom. You're going to picture your dad or your spouse. You're going to picture your kids. You're going to picture, and then your body's going to have a reaction. And I'm going to ask you next, where are you in your own picture? Where are you in your own life's picture? Where are your heart's desires and values in the puzzle of your life? I was working with a firefighter, and I asked him to list out all of the priorities in his life. And he wasn't on the list. And he mm. didn't realize it until the very end that he was nowhere on his list. Mm. And that hurt him. It hurt the core of him to recognize how devalued he feels in his own life, in his own body. Yeah. Wow. And how disconnected he is from himself. Yeah. When I ask these questions, your body, your wisdom, your mind, you're all going to have, you're going to have a, an influx of information. Pay attention to all of it. It's all relevant. Just don't don't just listen to the mind, though. Yeah, yeah. That's so, why I say dance it or draw it or or journal with your non dominant hand so that you're not over like. I love that one. Thinking, you know. So good, and it'll look like scribble for most of us. But that's right. You'll be able to read it, and the great thing is. Is that then your people can't? That's right. <laughs> so if they're in it and 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 they're in it too much, they won't even see with that non-nominative. <laughs> but your heart knows what it's writing, and it's usually very direct. <laughs> totally. No, that's that's one of my favorite hacks for my clients mm -hmm. and myself. For me, it's my left that left mm -hmm. hand writing, and it's 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 huge. Yeah. It's huge. Actually, just last week, I found something from a while ago, literally maybe six months ago. And it was literally illegible except 
you uh-huh. like you just said, my soul knew, and I was like, how am I how am I reading this? Yeah, and it was about my podcast. It was amazing. It was right there, and it was mm-hmm. quite from quite some time ago. So that's brilliant, amazing, yeah. amazing. So many things I want to talk about. So I have to narrow down because time, that time space reality thing mm-hmm. that can be challenging for me. I rest yoga nidra. I love this practice. I love the practice so much. And to be pithy about it for the listeners, in my understanding, and I'd love you to uh, elucidate it more, it's a practice about pulling the senses, drawing the senses inward. And it's like a pre, it's almost like an appetizer for meditation is how I think about Mm -hmm. it. Meditation, like the entree and an iris is like the bruschetta, you know, whatever appetizer to float your boat. Um, (laughs) So can you talk a little bit, please, about this practice of pratyahara, iris, what it means to you, why you think it's valuable, anything you want to say? Yeah, I actually think it does the whole, is a kit and caboodle, is that a thing people say? Anyway. It goes kosha by kosha. Actually, it covers the whole entire spectrum of our existence from the very gross to the extraordinary subtle, all the way to source itself. So I found I've meditated 25 years. I've done Buddhist meditation for that whole period and simultaneously have studied yoga, philosophy, Kashmir Shaivism and Advaita Vedanta. And also, you know, the Hatha, Hatha Yoga I studied for a long time. All of my meditation life, Yoga Nidra has been the most profound and deepest practice. And I rest is my favorite form of Yoga Nidra. Not only is Richard Miller the founder, he's, he's a dear friend, but also my personal teacher. But I love how he's translating these very complicated philosophies of Northern India and even brings in Buddhism but makes it extraordinarily practical. So if, for those listening, if you look up IREST, I-R-E-S-T, you'll, you'll find his, a lot of resources that are practical and it really brings mystical teachings to us. But what it is, we're, we're, we're laying down essentially and we're going through the koshas. We're bringing our awareness to the body, to our breath, emotions, our mental states, our intuition and wisdom to joy and then to pure awareness and then formlessness. And so we're following that whole process. In the process, your body goes to sleep. Essentially, most people end up sleeping. And yoga nidra technically means awakened sleep, a state of awakened consciousness, but your body and brain are sleeping. And so you know this because people are snoring all around you. Your consciousness never goes to sleep. Some part of you is always awake. And so yoga nidra connects you to the part that is always awake. And the more you practice it, you actually become awake while you're dreaming in real time, while you're sleeping. The advanced practice is you're fully awake while you're sleeping. I've seen dreams. I've been snoring and dreaming, but watching the whole thing. Completely, my consciousness is completely awake. And that's what happens on psychedelic medicine for me. I go incredible places like the cosmos, but I am always awake. I am at a place where I, I, I am just awake and aware of the whole phenomenon occurring. And I learned that through the yoga nidra practice, actually. Yeah, I love that parallel you talked about with even dreaming and sharing your experience and articulating it in such a digestible, understandable way for the listeners. Mm-hmm. I myself 
for me, it's similar too with developing intuition and even psychic realms. You know, mm-hmm. the deeper and more refined I've gotten in my meditation and doing yoga nidra, the deeper out I can go with psychic work and other mm-hmm. that kind of work because of that practice of the witness space you're speaking yeah. of. Yeah. The witness, the eye consciousness. That was a fabulous, incredibly concise answer on a really broad topic. And yeah, for the listeners, definitely check out IRAS. I love it. It's like he said, a really excellent, modernized practice. Yeah. That practice that is really esoteric. You can also go to Insight Timer or some of those free meditation apps and just type in Yoga Nidra. And there's some fabulous ones out there. I know a lot of clients that I have who have trouble sleeping for those friends who have trouble sleeping. I think it can be amazing for you know, really soporific, really helpful to support sleep. So thank you for sharing about that. Yes. Just, just as we start to conclude, what is your, I don't even know how to ask this question, which is rare, <laughs> but I want to tread lightly and I want to be broad because I'm so curious what you're going to say. So I'm going to hold it like, hold it so much expanded space, sky mind here, sky question. What is your, experience and or wisdom that you can offer in the way of what it is to be walking a path of healthy masculinity in the spiritual sector. It's taken me 44 years to be able to answer this. I'm 44. So my answer comes from my whole life of making lots of mistakes, of learning and growth through real-time experiences, watching healthy and unhealthy examples in the field. The work I've done most is around integrity, listening deeply, you know, integrity of like, what would, not wanting to cause harm, and if I do, how do I clean it up of listening deeply to stories and examples and to women who have not been heard or validated in their experiences so that I really take to heart people's experience and learn and grow from that. And that includes those I've made uncomfortable or hurt along the way. Deeper level now, it's about Healthy masculinity is about learning how to raise the sexual energy from the lower chakras up into the heart. And I had to have a tantric teacher for two years teach me over and over how to have that feeling and move it throughout my whole body. And then my Buddhist teacher helped me realize how do I center myself in the heart when I'm with women so that this is where I'm relating and radiating from so that I become a safe refuge. Before I was living in this place, I think I was dominated more by primal urges and energy that come out to be more about impulses. And and it's hard to control yourself when you're impulsive and that energy is so wild. So for men to be really healthy, it's about awakening our sexuality into the whole body and that it's joined with the heart. Mm-hmm. So that we are thoughtful and kind and compassionate and understanding and we listen deeply 
and we don't act from other places that are that are impulsive or base or primal. It's not about not being primal when it's right time to be primal. It's about being heart-centered all the other times. And yeah, these are the things I've been learning along the way. It's a really important question that deserves a whole podcast. You know, it can't be answered here so quickly, but those things I think about are integrity, listening deeply, learning from people, being vulnerable and willing to say, oh, shoot, you know, I've hurt people. How do I clean this up and how do I grow? Where is my learning here? I think healthy masculinity is really about being embodied with strength and wisdom and heart Mm. and moving from that space into the world. Mm. Yeah, that's a really, really authentic and thoughtful answer. Thank you. I love how you spoke about, because it ties into the, the, the Tantra, the threads. Yes. The loom of conversation we're, we're weaving of feeling where these centers are, these energies within mm. yourself. Because I'm sensing, you didn't say this, but the way you gesticulated, like in your body. Yes. Which, back to what we spoke of in the beginning and loving your emphasis on honoring and understanding the body as our spiritual GPS and our psychological GPS and all the GPSs, you know? Yes. Love how you spoke of and thank you for that, that breadcrumb to follow for people listening who identify as male about where their different impulses arise from physically, energetically, Mm -hmm. and hopefully getting support to learn how to, to move that energy if needed and, and dexterously work with that. So thank you. Just also cleaning up your, your side of the street. You know what I mean? I mean, I think about that too, even when I was running a community and people viewing you as like a spiritual teacher, you know, when you're just human. And I know we spoke about this a little bit before we start hit the record button, just the idea of being a mystic is, is being conscious and then rolling up your sleeves and cleaning up your shit, your chit. Yeah. And, and understanding that in doing so, that can be actually sometimes the most powerful teaching for others. It is actually. It shows so much about grace and love and forgiveness and holding yourself accountable and maybe taking time to do the work and showing you care. Because a lot of us make mistakes. Most of us aren't malicious. Most people aren't misusing power on purpose to hurt others. That does happen. And that is out there. Most of us are unconscious. And our impulses and our behaviors are so conditioned. We're not even aware of what we're doing. We're just doing something. And then we're like, well, why isn't that working? Or How did I hurt that person? Or, but then when you start really watching yourself you can see very clearly, oh, I was, I'm a, I was not awake to this. I was not awake to what I was doing. And then, then now we have what we call remorse, not shame, but remorse. I, had, I spent most of my life in shame. I'm moving to remorse. Shame is punishing and it hurts so bad. But remorse is like, I wish I didn't do that. I'm really sorry I did. I'm going to clean myself up so I can be a better human being. So th- Man, those of us who are teaching, or especially male, 
who are teaching, we have an extra duty to do this work and then learn about our bodies and where our energy resides and move it, move it to the heart center, move it into our, into the whole space of us so that we're relating from that space. Yeah, that's a gorgeous answer. You said so many things today, but that truly really is hitting the mark of my heart. And I feel like is really so helpful for, for people listening. So thank you for that wisdom. You're welcome. Would, would you mind offering like a one-ish, three-minute, whatever you want, just little kind of centering? Oh, sure. I would love to. Yeah. Something, you know, I, I said appetizer earlier, so maybe like a little dessert. <laughs> okay. I, I love that request. So everybody listening and us too, we get to practice together. Right now we're creating a sangha, satsang. We're, we're joining our hearts together, all of us listening for all of time. As this will be listened to at different times, we're joining into a larger community of people who are wanting to awaken. So what a cool thing we're getting to do right now. If you're comfortable closing your eyes, take a moment. And even before we officially begin, drop your mind into the body. Feel the body on the chair, the cushion, the couch. Drop your mind into the body. Already we're here. Let's take a deep breath in, inhale. Let's sigh down the body, through the seat bones, down the feet. Another deep breath in and sigh, resting your body, resting the mind. Feel the body's response. And one more deep, luscious breath in. Hold the breath for just a moment. Feel the expansion of the body. And exhale slowly out the nose, down the body. Keep exhaling. and feel the body's response. For just a moment, open your awareness around you to the room, the house or building you're in. Notice all the sounds. The feeling of the room itself. Notice life living itself around you. And now bring your mind's attention to your own heart beating. Rest your mind on the heart beating. Just feel the vibrant heart. Each beat like a drum 
or a beacon. Let the heart fill the body. Just rest. Rest here in the space of the heart. Take a deep, slow breath into the heart. And a nice, gentle breath out. And without losing this embodied presence, gently open the eyes. Just being. All of our hearts beating. Beacons of hope and love into the world around us. Thank you. Mm, thank you. Such a truly palpable and restorative and deep dive. Really, really. Thank you. Mm, you're welcome. So, Dr. Michael Sapiro, where can folks find out about you and your <laughs> interleaving work in this world? <laughs> My website, michaelsapiro.com and Instagram, Dr. Mike Boise. Dr. Mike Boise. Those are the two good places. I'm around a lot of places, but those are the fun ones to find me. Amazing. Well, I'm thrilled for my monthly mystic members who are receiving two articles from Michael. I read one of them today and half of the other one, and they're so well written. And I'm not oh, thank you. but like this conversation, like an arrow hitting the target. Um, one is healing traumatized body through grounding practices and nature as mythic healer. So if you aren't a monthly mystic member yet, you go over to my mystic membership. It's on my website, modernmystic.love. And I've got my unlimited yoga, meditation, mindfulness, breath work library there for 33 bucks a month. And you can support this podcast by doing so. And there's also astrology lessons and tarot card lessons and mystic hack how to work with your energy lessons over there so check that out and i just want to say michael thank you so much for your your presence your wisdom and your time today uh you're really really very deep and bright teacher mm -hmm. i know our listeners have already benefited so much thank you so much and i'm really really glad to be on here with you thank you namaste Thank you for taking these words in. I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. It is so appreciated. Also, check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can find information about my very exciting monthly mystic membership. My members have unlimited access to a robust video library, which includes short videos that are easily digestible. 
sharing practical ways to integrate mystical living into your day-to-day life. These compelling videos cover topics such as how to ground, protect, and grow your energy, how to develop your psychic abilities, how to connect to your spirit team, shadow work, inner child work, tarot cards, lots of Western astrology, of course, in addition to syncing up with the rhythms of nature and so much more. I've gotten so much positive feedback that these videos are game changers for folks. Also included in the membership are over 100 alignment-based yoga classes of all different levels, meditation and breathwork classes, so you can work from the inside out or the outside in and up-level yourself as you become the next version of you. Not to mention, my mystic members get all sorts of bonus content and discounts from my visionary podcast guests. So check out modernmystic.love and take a peek there as there's a free sampling of some videos waiting for you. Lastly, if you are looking for some conscious conversation and compelling community, check out also our private Modern Mystic podcast Facebook group. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time. Namaste. Namaste.